You are listening to the Post Growth Australia podcast, the one podcast where size don't matter and where better is better than bigger. Hello, all and sundry, and welcome to another episode of Post Growth Australia podcast. Michael Bayless is my name. Making post-growth theory palatable enough for tea time conversation is my game. There are some encouraging signs that PGAP may be bridging this gap. I started this podcast just over two years ago as part of a movement to bring degrowth out of the academia and into the realm of storytelling and everyday conversation. In July this year, PGAP has enjoyed its highest monthly listens in history, pushing it into the top 5% of global podcasts. This would not have been possible without the stellar quality of guests on this show and from Sustainable Population Australia, who support this podcast. This also wouldn't have been possible without you, yes, you, the listener, in sharing the podcast around. This is the only way that inconvenient topics through independent media can bypass the suppression and gagging of the mainstream media and reach a broader audience where it belongs. Thank you. Not that the mainstream media can hide behind the smoke and mirrors anymore as much. Namely, a Kardashian fan whose social media feed is not these days filled with posts filled with extreme weather events, resource shortages and imminent ecological collapse. Unlike PGAP, mainstream media won't provide any meaningful solutions. In the meantime, the UK apparently now experiences Australian-style summers. Does this mean Australia can expect it to Death Valley-like conditions for next summer? Let's wait and see. Speaking of Earth Overshoot, I attended an online presentation by Will Stephan several months ago titled Planetary Boundaries 2022 Update. Professor Stefan was amazing as always. Incidentally, he was also a keynote speaker at the 2022 Fenner Conference, Making Australian Agricultural Sustainable, that Sustainable Population Australia organise. Isn't interconnection amazing? Anyway, the Planetary Boundaries Update was organised by the Green Prince Exchange Workshop Series, an initiative from the Australian Earth Laws Alliance, or AILA. Will's presentation was sobering, as one can imagine, with the consequences of these planetary system breaches now being felt across the world, including News Limited in all their begrudgement. However, what caught my interest in particular was the introduction to Stefan's presentation from Ayla co-founder, Dr. Michelle Maloney. In this introduction, she provided a summary of the Ayla's Green Prince initiative, which really piqued the holistic systems change part of my brain. In some ways, it was an opportune way for me to invite Michelle back onto PGAP. Michelle was a previous guest in episode four, season one of PGAP. Of all the guests and of all my colleagues over the years, I feel closest to Michelle in terms of my own philosophical values. So I'm hugely honoured that she was able to take a break from her busy schedule for a return visit to PGAP land. After several high concept episodes, it is also opportune to get back to the grassroots, to the practical and the applicable, which is what Green Prince is all about. According to the Green Prince website, it is all about system change from the ground up. 
It provides a practical step-by-step -step approach to help people understand both the big picture and the small details of how to transform our societies and to thrive within our ecological limits. Beyond this short introduction, I'm going to let Michelle do the talking from this point onward. Over to you, Michelle. Welcome back, Michelle, to PGAP. Just a word of warning to our listeners, we're both currently experiencing some extreme weather events that might come into recording. You've got uh, some heavy rain, Michelle. Um, I've got extreme wind in Albany. This is a suggestion to our listeners, if you want good quality recordings, then reverse the impacts of climate change. <laughs> now, Michelle, it's been two years since you last on PGAP. Since then, uh, neither of us can quite claim to have put a stop on endless growth on a finite planet. However, I've seen some great stuff from both Ayla and Nina since. Um, I've participated in several online workshops and promoted on PGAP the Wellbeing Economy course on PGAP, which looked amazing. What have been some of your highlights looking back? Over two years? Wow. Um, you know, I didn't realise it had been so long. Time flies. Yeah, exactly. Highlights would be sort of growing our AILA team in that two-year time frame because although the pandemic has been very difficult for everyone, um, it has meant uh, that more people seem to be very interested in systems change and our work. And we've actually received our first funding for our work uh, as of June last year. Our two private philanthropic um, organisations connected with us and we were able to get some paid work or, you know, be paid for our work. That has been a highlight, I cannot tell you how exciting that is, after building Ayla for, I think it was eight and a half years, and Nina for five years at the time uh, this funding came along. So that's been a really lovely highlight. And it's also meant that um, I've been able to bring a couple of extra folks into the Green Prince team. Um, so they're definite highlights inside Ayla. Highlights outside in the, the world that often feels topsy-turvy, I'm still inspired by the kind of amazing folks we work with and how they continue to do great work despite of and because of, you know, the many, many challenges we face uh, with climate change and the pandemic and governments that don't want to take the action we need. So inspired by the humans around me, inspired by the living world and definitely getting some funding support and bringing more people in has been a huge highlight. Well, that's great looking back in retrospect. I remember two years ago, you know, it was all voluntary. In an era in which billionaires are getting even more tax concession breaks, it's good that people doing the right thing are getting some money for it. So I think so too. And, yeah. you know, if okay. I could wave my magic wand, I'd get a lot more people in our sector getting paid to do great work because that's where all the good work's happening. Now, for those tuning in new to PGAP who may be new to Australian Earth Law Alliance and New Economy Network Australia, both of which you convene, I hope that's the right term, um, how would you describe both in a nutshell? If someone could join only one, what are some <laughs> key similarities and differences to help them decide to choose? And is this an impossible question? <laughs> well, I hope it's um, a question we don't need to ask people. But in a nutshell, we formed the Australian Earth Laws Alliance 10 years ago. Its mission in life is to help societies understand and move towards the practical implementation of earth-centred governance. And by that we mean how do we build an ecological society and a lot of our work has looked at the structural changes we need to make around systems like our legal, economic, 
education uh, and other systems that literally we're born into, um, how do we change those bigger picture systems so that we can care for the earth community and support ourselves as well? So I think of AILA as the mothership because AILA's mission by looking at earth-centred governance butted heads with the neoclassical economic system from the moment we you know, created AILA. So a, a sort of a desire to connect with and bring more people together who are already working inside alternative economies, new economies, wellbeing economies, um, led to the creation of the New Economy Network Australia or NINA. So NINA is a cooperative, a lovely national network run by volunteers, bringing people together to share information, to build peer-to-peer -peer support and to create initiatives um, across Australia that help people understand how to build a better economic system that supports people and planet. So if you had to choose, if your heart and passion is deeply in challenging the economic system or you're into the grassroots activities of food systems and housing and such, Nina might be more your cup of tea. But if you're interested in the bigger picture Earth systems shift, join Ayla, join Nina. It's all, it's all good. <laughs> join them both. Yeah, exactly. The takeaway message here is join both now. We'd love you to. Yeah, we'd love to. Now, for the rest of this interview, we're going to park ourselves mainly in Ayla land, yeah. as uh, this is where the Green Prince initiative was born. Firstly, how would you describe Green Prince in short, and how long has it been around for? Oh, good question. So, look, in short, Green Prince can be seen as a framework, a step-by-step -step approach to help people understand the big picture and the small details of how to create all this complex systems change. But what's really cool about Green Prince is it's made, made in Australia, for Australia, um, and it's really designed to help people connect with all of the existing awesome tools and ideas and initiatives that they can use in their own place to build and transform to this ecological society that we're interested in. So while on the one hand it's got the big picture stuff and we look at literally from the ground up by looking at the living world first and how we, as a human system or human societies, how we pattern ourselves into place so that we can live here forever and be regenerative. Um, but it's also very good on the minor, not the minor, the tiny details. It's a framework that helps people connect with all manner of good things like donor economics, like the tools, um, the mapping tools and deliberative democracy, citizens assemblies, all the good stuff you can possibly think of. We put it into a logical framework. You can engage with it in lots of different ways. How long has it been around um, the creation story for Green Prince is very deeply connected to my own personal journey. Um, back in mid-2015, I was diagnosed with very, very aggressive breast cancer and whilst uh, literally disabled in bed for eight months, um, had a lot of time to think because although I went through chemotherapy and radiation, I was um, really in a lot of pain and in a lot of, <laughs> a lot of bad places physically. My brain never got chemo fog. So I was able to be kind of trapped in a stationary time, uh, thinking a lot about all the things I'd done for 25 plus years. And the question that kept coming back to me and the question that then led to the creation of Green Prince as a scribbled idea on some paper in late 2015 and early 2016 was simply this. How can industrialised societies with such a pro-growth focus, how can we transform to live within our limits. How do we practically do that? If we all woke up tomorrow and actually wanted to do it, where do we start? How do we get there? And how do we know, are we there yet? 
And so I was able to weave together literally three decades of work across many different disciplines. Been so lucky to meet so many great people doing excellent work, but it allowed me to have a kind of creative fusion and, yeah, started to sketch it out. But it took me probably another year, year and a half to really find a way to articulate it so that people could actually see the benefit of it and why it offered something that other approaches perhaps hadn't done all of before. Very excellent summary, Michelle. <laughs> you could have said you. it better yourself. Now, <laughs> I first came across Green Prince in your introduction to Will Steffen's 2022 Planetary Boundaries Update seminar, which was run by Ayla and the Green Prince Initiative. I was so um, smitten by your introduction and the Green Prince Initiative um, that I thought that I had to pull you away from your 16-hour days, uh, seven days a week for another PGAP interview. So this is a good opportunity because <laughs> it was Will Stefan to get the gloom and doom out of the way now. Um, to what extent are the planetary boundaries being exceeded and why do we need more Green Prince initiatives and less business as usual? Mm. Well, look, I never profess to be an expert on the scientific, you know, um, details of the planetary boundaries concept, but I was literally struck by their deep importance when I came across them. Um, I read that 2009 paper that Will Stephan, Johan Rockström and others wrote um, in Nature, which was the original document, the original research paper saying, you know, a safe operating space for humanity. So the nine planetary boundaries then, we had breached three. Um, since that time, we've breached four. How important are they? They really do represent a sort of quantifiable way of saying how we can keep life on Earth chugging along. Um, they are the boundaries that we should look to as big picture thinking about sustaining life on Earth. So how important is it to try to bring ourselves back into some kind of... Um, way of living within our ecological limits, vitally, critically important. And to me, really, the primary question, goal and piece of work uh, for our times. How do we as industrialised, globalised societies who have rolled out a very unique way of looking at the world, which originated in the Industrial Revolution in Europe, but has its roots way further back in Western thinking, how do we take that crazy monolithic rolling beast that has then through colonization toppled over so many places societies cultures plants and animals how do we put the beast back in the box how do we try to find a way to live within our ecological limits nurturing the earth community supporting social justice um, it's the only game in town to me it, these are the questions now, since uh, Will Stephan's presentation, I've tried to do my homework by uh, looking at the website and um, watching your introductory video. So this question will double up as a uh, test whether I've uh, <laughs> absorbed the information correctly. So um, it's, it's very succinct. I'm just sometimes a bit slow. So Green Prince uses a model that applies eight steps. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It's got stepwise steps, yes. Firstly, I like in your video presentation that you provided a caution and qualifier when using models. So why do we need to exercise some mindfulness implying um, theoretical models to real-world scenarios and why should mainstream economists take heed? 
Ah, well, so firstly, yes, Green Prince has some steps, but we did that to keep things really simple. And I often refer to our steps as a sanity pill in very complex, confusing times. Yes, um, we do have steps. It helps people understand the sheer basics of what we're trying to do. But yes, I also use a caveat saying to people, and the quote you're referring to, I think, is when I say to people, um, all models are wrong. Some models are useful. And it's very important because life is messy. You know, the living world, human societies, my personal life, my work life, your work life, all these things are complex. So models are a way of creating, I guess, almost a fantasy of rational process forward. But if we can withhold the scepticism and say, maybe this is something that is useful to us, maybe when people have put a lot of many, many years of research and work into complexity and then come out with something that says, here are some basic steps or here is a simple model that might help you rethink something new or might help you do something or might help unstick you from a sticky place um, where you've gotten, um, you know, confused or that's when models are useful. But why should we warn economists or, you know, where would I begin? You know, neoclassical economics itself is a deep fantasy. It's built on the idea of endless growth on a finite planet. It's built on these very strange diagrams um, which typically have an L-shaped matrix and then lines going up. They have no connection to the living world or biophysical realities. Um, I think it was um, Herman Daly, the father or the creator of steady-state economics, who said neoclassical economics is a bit like a vet studying the intestinal tract of an animal without ever looking at its mouth. Now, I'm paraphrasing. He didn't say that exactly. But neoclassical economics is full of models that are literally floating in midair talking about supply and demand uh, without ever connecting to things they call externalities, which I call the foundations of life. So, yes, all, all Western thinkers, all of us, should be very careful with models because they simplify, they can misrepresent, um, and they become outmoded, you know. We need to keep up with modern thinking. So with that caution, <laughs> um, walk me through the eight steps of Green Prince. <laughs> Will I ever learn? Um, we'll also provide a diagram in the episode notes. Yeah, sure. So first, I just want to do two things. So first, the name Green Prince was a nickname that I gave it because I figured, well, we have blueprints for buildings. We design civil society structures, uh, civil society, civil infrastructure, um, like buildings, like roads. We have blueprints. We map out what it's going to be. We can sketch it, we can change it, we can modify it, but it gives us a guide for how we might construct these things. And when I was literally lying in my chemo bed thinking, how do we help all these civil society groups and community groups and people when we don't have governments who seem to know what they're doing? How do we have the equivalent of a blueprint or a way of sketching our way out of this mess and transforming into something else? So the, the name Green Prince stuck because... Today, there are so many things called regenerative this, sustainability that. It gets all confusing. Green Prince was an easy way to just have a nickname, which became the name. We play with the image of a Green Prince paper, which looks like Blue Prince paper. And we're going to do some animations soon that shows sketching and rethinking society. So I just want to say that's the name. And just before I talk about the steps, we talk about Green Prince as being two things. One, a pathfinder, a way to actually have a simple process that helps us find and use the best kinds of sustainability and regenerative tools that are already out there to respect, honour and connect all of the existing work that people have already been doing 
Indigenous people for thousands of years, uh, settler societies for hundreds of years, to respect the phenomenal amount of work that's been done in different places to try to be sustainable and regenerative and connect up. But secondly, so Green Prince is a process or a pathfinder, but it's also an output. What we're interested in is helping support entire community groups all connected in a place, could be a sub-region, bioregion, catchment, actually looking across their place saying, what are the scenarios for different ways forward? You know, what does business as usual actually look like for our place? Like, don't just talk generic. Don't just talk national level. Tell me what this looks like for my place, my local place. So with that in mind, I, I worked, I grappled for some time on the steps. So when you think about Green Prince as a pathfinder, the steps themselves, which are on our website, and yes, Michael, that'd be nice to share the steps. So in a nutshell, the steps are as follows. Think differently. That was number one. Number two, define the ecological boundaries that are relevant for your place. Number three, understand the place you're in and the ecological foundations. Number four, then understand all the human activities that have been happening in this place. In Australia, we look to, um, since time immemorial, Indigenous human activities in a place, and then since colonisation in 1788, the kinds of activities that have been happening, everything from land clearing to human settlements to water consumption, et cetera, et cetera. And then once we do that massive mammoth task, collating and bringing things together, and I can talk more about all of this, um, we need to do a health check because people keep talking about sustainability in general, but what do they mean? Are we there yet? How do we know what we need to do to actually rein ourselves in and to be living in a sustainable or regenerative way? So the health check helps us look inside the ecological boundaries we identified, looking at what ecological foundations look like in that place, understanding all the human activities, and then we say, are we in overshoot? Unfortunately, most communities in Australia are living beyond their biophysical means, but it's good to understand where and what we're doing. And then you develop scenarios for change. So step six is how do we look across through where democratising mapping tools, making it easy for people to say, look at all the land that used to have forest and that was cleared for agriculture. What would it look like if we changed that land use, restored forests and found economic ways of being that support the living world in this place? So when we say develop scenarios for change, it's not just abstract concepts. It's not just talking about renewable energy in a vague way. We're saying in this place, within these boundaries, what have we done? What should we restore? What's going to happen if we keep digging giant mines or logging everything out of sight or trashing the soils and the water? Because this big picture thinking, a lot of people very rarely get to do it. We've kind of handed over a lot of our long-term planning to big uh, to government. Often corporations know more about what's happening in a place than your ordinary environmental group. Woolworths know where their lands are and where they're going to open up something in 10, 15, 20 years. Lendlease and developers know. So this process is about empowering more and more people to understand local place, to understand what's been happening and to make very informed decisions about where to go. So the steps are a rough guide. Get, we get to scenarios for change. Then at step seven, we talk about choosing collective decision-making processes. But that's a little bit of a trick because we put it at step seven because it's really when the rubber hits the road in terms of choosing scenarios. But when you go into think differently, that whole first step shows the messy process of who are we going to bring into this Green Prince process within our communities. 
Where does power lie? Where are the decisions? What processes will we use to bring more and more people together? So the whole thing's a bit messy. The steps keep you sane. Once we've had some collective decision-making processes, and let's say several thousand people have worked for a year and a half, analysing their place, looking at what's been going on, using citizens' assemblies to make choices about what we want, then number eight is where the rubber hits the road or where the solar panel is put on the roof. How do we develop those plans and support the work that needs to happen to make the very specific transitions and changes in a local place that, coming back to Will Stefan, planetary boundaries, we can do whilst keeping in mind and upscaling local work to be playing our part as good citizens um, meeting and trying to live within planetary boundaries. So the steps, um, they are clearly set out on the website. And when you look on the website and you click on a step, there's a simple summary of each step as you go. And think differently, we start with a quote from Einstein, you know, you never solve problems by using the same thinking that got you into them. But really that thinking differently is the hardest part. You need people to really understand that we're ecocentric, to really understand that it's vital. We don't just charge on with one way or a technological solution to our problems. We have to really think differently about humanity's role in this place, in this, in this earth. We have to think differently about Indigenous knowledge. We have to think differently about colonialism. You know, there's so many things we can unpack. So, yeah, and the way people come at them and use them and do them is different and varied and messy but the beauty of the steps is you have a place to come back to, you have a place to come back and put the information into inside your organised little workbook that becomes this big thing that tells the story of a place. I hope that was that's in somehow useful. Thank you, Michelle. That was so succinct, um, amazing. Now, just out of curiosity and, and for the benefit of the listeners who may be rushing in to <laughs> use green prints in their lives, hopefully, can the green prints model be applied to any area of life? Can it be used in a home sphere as well as a business sphere for local councils as well as federal governments, the farmers as well as industry? Can it be used for decision-making like when building a house? Can um, property developers use it and know that um, there's no point and they better <laughs> sell their business you know well it's it's a really good question and whereas many tools are kind of you you might work out your own footprint so you sit down and you calculate what you've been doing um green prints everyone can engage with green prints once a green prints set of scenarios are developed then absolutely yes anyone will be able to go hang on where do i fit in where do i fit into this map oh all these communities reckon that we shouldn't do this logging anymore or we shouldn't do this kind of polluting businesses along the river anymore. That could help someone go, oh, maybe I won't run my private business of whatever it is that might be harmful to these places because the broader community who was also trying to influence or work with councils have said that's not a great thing to do. However, in these early days, we have one page on our Green Prince website called using green prints, one thing that we're really encouraging people to do is connect with us first because as we start to build different communities around Australia who are playing with the green prints process, we need more and more people to work together to share their knowledge, to input their ideas, but also to sort of build a shared picture of their place. So at first, green prints will be very much a collective process where more and more and more people will be invited in to a one or two year process to actually come into workshops and map out their ideas, to come into workshops and share their expertise. 
because until we develop these big sort of maps and pictures of the place, we're still where we are today, uh, which I could talk endlessly about, but the fractures in our information systems are significant. Um, we have thousands and thousands of data sets that talk about bioregions, catchments, water quality, many, many things in Australia. So at these early stages, what we're excited about is bringing lots of people together through different ways of you know, workshops or online discussions, expertise. Um, my team will gather reports and other information, develop maps. But at the same time, what we're trying to encourage people to do is engage with the idea. So you asked how can people engage with green prints? Certainly there's a page on our website called Using Green Prints. And we have a little bit of info that just give people ideas. So for interested individuals and families, for community groups, for schools, for businesses and corporations, for local councils and any government entities that may or may not be interested in the future. And what we suggest is that those commun some communities might be the first one to start looking at the Green Prince approach for their area and they might want to bring others in. They might get in touch with us and discover that like we've already got about six different community areas where folks are starting to engage in different processes. We can loop them in, bring them together. Um, and I just want to mention for Indigenous groups, we're working with the wonderful Marawara Fitzroy River Council, um, the Indigenous traditional owners up in the Kimberley through the amazing woman, Dr. Anne Polina. Um, Green Prince isn't a, a tool that we inflict on other people so that they are told what to do. It's sitting there as a way forward that can bring together core areas of research and information and actually be used by communities to talk to other people like governments or developers to really show and justify why their economic future or their cultural future needs to be embedded into place. So in particular with Indigenous groups who have their own ancient ways of knowing and doing, what Green Prince can do is actually be almost like a Western tool for them to show other Westerners why caring for country first and caring for people first matters. So it's more of a, a validation of their own knowledge systems where and if that might be useful to folks. So, yeah, first and foremost, we're in the early days, not so much in getting the word out. People love the approach, but we're now just starting on some core projects, really stretching our green prints legs, so to speak. Um, and it's, it's a bit exciting, but we'll see how we go. And Anne Polina uh, was a guest on PGAP last year uh, from memory, an utterly amazing yep. um, individual and uh, yeah. one of my favourite ever episodes. Um, you've probably already alluded to this question, but has Greenprints been around long enough to give any examples of groups or organisations who've been using the model to some promising results or outcome? And if so, what are um, some examples that come to mind? Um, the, the short answer is we haven't got any scenarios built up yet, um, but what we have got is a number of communities really engaged in process. So we've got a wonderful group of people on the Sunshine Coast who sort of agreed to be our guinea pigs many years ago in terms of mapping out how would this thing work? What does it even offer? How do we do this in a way that's useful to ordinary folks who are busy and have already got their own jobs? And so the Sunshine Coast group then um, got very busy when COVID broke out and we're just reconnecting with them. So to give an example, though, our group on the sunny coast represents at least a dozen different community and environmental groups. We've had, um, we had a kickoff event years ago now called um, Getting to Know Our Place, and it was all about understanding our ecological foundations. Um, and from that, we've developed a, a pretty chunky first area uh, section chapter inside our sun, Sunny Coast workbook. And um, the group's keen to reconvene. 
And our plan for the next 12 months will be to invite different groups in and to hold a couple of workshops to bring folks together, could be online, to actually start the mapping process and really digging deep into, for example, one of the biggest threats in sunny coast area is depending on how you define it, overdevelopment, um, a lot of destruction of koala habitat, mm. a lot of residential developments that, quite frankly, from a new economy perspective, even the nature of these housing developments could be different and would be better for people, let alone they should be different to be better for the living world. So we've got a core group of people which we want to grow out, and then we're actually going to use the mapping tool to start looking at land use across the sub-region inside the bioregion. So it'll be like six months of gathering material and then opening it up again to have more people involved, to talk to the local council who know very well that a lot of the development approvals in their area are not sustainable. Um, so really beginning to tell the story. Um, so that's just one example. Another really interesting one is that um, there's kind of like a regenerative movement happening, as you would well know. Um, you know, seven years ago, everything was called sustainability. Four years ago, everything seemed to be more regenerative. And so now what we're seeing is regenerative everything, um, which is terrific. And one of the things we um, were inspired by when we watched Regen Melbourne during the big COVID lockdown, start to engage with donut economics and wonder what would a regenerative city look like? So what a few of us in Brisbane said was, well, <clears throat> wouldn't it be cool if we had a Regen Brisbane or a Regen Brisbane Mianjin and used the Green Prince approach to bring lots and lots and lots of people together across sectors, across places, and map out scenarios for the city. And that's a huge job, but I'm really excited because we've got a number of business people in, we've got a number of groups, but we've just we've only really just started. We had a, a really cool launch event last year, which the day one really kind of wove us through the Green Prince approach, and it actually included Will Steffen talking about planetary boundaries, Mary Graham talking about Indigenous knowledge, local people talking about catchment management groups in Brisbane, local councillor Jonathan Shree. So, you know, Brisbane's starting to get traction. Um, but look, we don't pretend to be anything but what we are. You know, we're making this up as we go. I designed Green Prince to try to help people handle complexity and work together to build a better, better understanding of what we can do and then do those transitions. Another excellent development has been a project which has received funding. So University of Western Sydney and a bunch of other cool people in Lithgow received funding support from the Bushfire Resilience Program. Fabulously, one of their cohort wrote Green Prince in as the foundational structure to sort of hold all of the various activities from local arts activities to local industry to thinking about what transitions that unique community will look at um, and it's really exciting to be working with um, this core group of people they've already got this big project in mind but what they hadn't done was um, different elements uh, being connected together in a way that green prints can help so that's one example and then we've got um, a beautiful group called edible scapes who are down at the gold coast um, in a sub bio region of the bigger southeast queensland bioregion and they heard one talk about Green Prince, got in touch because we all knew each other and said, we would love to activate Gold Coast communities around this so that we can start to build the story of what our place is and what it could be. There's a couple of councils who are on the edges of being interested too. Look, at a personal level, I can't tell you, all I ever wanted to be was useful. And the fact that I've worked really hard on trying to bring all my personal work experience into a space to be of use, to now see folks picking it up I mean, obviously, in the last three years, I haven't been doing it on my own. I've been 
have wonderful colleagues like James Lee, who's a whiz on the research and the mapping stuff. And we've got a wonderful colleague in Earth Laws um, in Ayla called Kira, and she's working on Region Brisbane. But to see people picking up this idea and thinking, yeah, that's sort of common sense. How do we do that in our place? Um, it's really exciting, but we re remain humble. We have trepidation about how much we can achieve once we get to the point where we've really worked out the change we need to make. But the, the process is part of it. The more people we bring in, the more voices we bring in, eventually various decision makers, people in decision making roles will have to listen to very sensible, wise voices from wide sectors of society. But then I have to say there's a little secret weapon lurking in the background because I'm a lawyer and, well, I was in a former life. Um, we've got a long-term vision for serious law reform, which I will probably not realise in my lifetime, but that's a whole other story. So, you know, once we've worked out what we want to do in a place, how do we embed those systems into place more appropriately for local, for local governance rather than having far away governments, far away corporations being able to roll over the top of what, you know, communities see as healthy for their own place. So there's a really big body of work there. Part four, human impacts, or step four, is actually massive because that's where all the new economy work folds in. What have humans been doing within this place? What's been the impact? What perhaps should we change? And how do we go about having a thriving human society with jobs, which, with things to do um, inside a new economy framework, not an old extractivist thing? So... So really, Ayla's building of Nina has been a core strategy for ensuring that something like green prints or whatever people use holistically looks across, really, how do we rethink human societies in Australia so that we can live here forever? Well, here's me hoping that green prints grows whilst the economy at large degrows. Um, <laughs> If yeah, yeah. anyone listening would like to delve deeper into green prints, is it just a matter of going to the website and um, saying, yeah. here I am? I think so. <laughs> Look, um, because interestingly, we are just a small group. With We haven't even had any funding until the last year. We've just had amazing people chipping in. So in reality, visit the website, greenprints.org.au, then send us an email. We will talk to anybody who's interested. If you get in touch and say, how do I bring green prints into my school? How do I get my community organisation activated to maybe connect with other groups to do? Whatever your questions are, we will answer because we're keen to see can we help people accelerate the good work they're already doing and perhaps by forging more and more people heading in the same direction. My hope is that we will have a greater chance of overcoming the obstacles that exist right now, which are predominantly vested interests political powers that don't care about sustainability. Um, but the more people who understand what's good for place, the better position we'll be in. So please just get in touch. Greenprints at earthlaws.org.au is the uh, email address or just shoot us a note at AELA, A-E-L-A, at earthlaws.org.au. Um, yeah, have a look on the website. It ain't glossy and slick like some of those big flash organisations or, you know, private consultancies, but you will see enough info and a couple of talks, um, and I figure, Michael, if people like yourself, you know, heard a small snippet of Green Prince at the beginning of another larger webinar and you got it, then we're doing the right thing. People can understand what we're trying to do, um, even by engaging with shorter talks. They don't have to watch my 35-minute long yarn that's there on the homepage, but they can. 
and uh, we'll include your yarn on the show notes as well, which I which I loved. And I do like the website; it's full of pictures. <laughs> I like pictures. As a lawyer, I love pictures too. I much prefer pictures to too many words. Maybe that's uh, our collective attention span these days. Before we go, any future plans for Ayla, Nina, or yourself that may be of interest for PGAP listeners or anyone into post growth? Thank you. Yes. Look, um, in terms of Ayla. The one thing I'll mention is if you visit the earthlaws.org.au events page, you'll see a number of excellent workshops coming up. Some are connected to the Green Prince Exchange. Um, But one big thing I'd like to plug is that um, next week we'll be launching our Earth Centred Futures course, which will run um, just a couple of hours a week for eight weeks in July and August. Wonderful people like Will Steffen, Brendan Mackey, Mary Graham, um, uh, many other terrific speakers. Rob Costanza talking about, you know, ecological economics, earth-centred everything that course is, a, is about. And then in September we have Earth Laws Month where I'm currently preparing a calendar of free Zoom easy-to-reach events from law, economics, education, ethics, arts, spirituality, dance, movement, Anything, of course, Indigenous knowledge and Indigenous speakers, but a month full of lovely activities to raise the profile of earth-centred governance in a much more fun way than we could possibly do by talking about governance. (laughs) That was just Ayla. Nina has a a cooperatives week at the end of September, a housing week coming up, um, a a whole couple of days fiesta on how to build new stories and narratives about the economy of all things, as well as ongoing webinars, and we are hosting the Nina short course right now, um, which people seem to be loving, which is great. So lots to, lots happening and we do hope we see some faces uh, in amongst those events. Well, yet again, Michelle, I can't accuse you of being idle, <laughs> um, but thank you so much for your second time around. It's been an absolute honour. Thank you so much, Michael. Really appreciate you being interested in our stories. So thanks so much and thanks to everyone for listening. You are listening to Post Growth Australia podcasts. I'm your host, Michael Bayless, and we just chatted with Dr. Michelle Maloney, co-founder of Australian Earth Law Alliance, and especially on Ayla's Green Prince Initiative. A big heart held thanks to you, Michelle, and everything that you do. If all 8 billion of us were just like Michelle, well, that would still be too many of us, but nevertheless, I'm certain the planet would be a much better shape for it. Do you believe that your community, council or workplace may benefit from partnership with the Green Prince Initiative? Details on contacting Ayla in the show notes. What did you think of this episode or to this season of PGAT or to any season of PGAT for that matter? What guests or topics would you like to see in a future episodes of PGAP? We love constructive feedback and not the construction industry. Get it? So please don't be shy in contacting us anytime. Link in the show notes. Rate and review PGAP on Apple Podcasts. Share widely with your networks. All opinions of our esteemed guests, including any aspects of their past or existing legacies, are theirs only and do not necessarily reflect those of PGAP or Sustainable Population Australia on every single occasion. In other words, if any of our guests ends up with a sort of double life as a neoliberal growth booster, don't sue us. 
Next episode will be the finale of PGAP's third season with a very special guest who I'm very excited about. It has been a mammoth of the season touching on a disparate topics such as farming, public housing, home design and ecological economics. Population may also have crept up on one or two occasions. Following season three, I will be taking a short one to two month break to take stock and prepare to a better and bolder season four. But the show's not over just yet, folks. See you all back for the season three finale in a couple of weeks. Until then, until then. <laughs>